Okay, go ahead and have a seat. Today we had, uh, we prayed. <laughs> Where did We all went to the port, me and uh, a couple other people went to the port. We went to the, uh, where, else, where else did we go? There were seven locations in Wilmington. Uh, we uh, said a little prayer. <laughs> we got kicked out of where we were. <laughs> Tony, I, maybe it's Tony's fault. <laughs> we, uh, the, the, I guess the guard told us we were on their property and uh, wasn't public property, so we had to move. <laughs> so he, he, was, he got to pray with us. So <laughs> he was right there as we were praying. Uh, that song spoke to me. It's uh, my wife's mother. They live about a mile, not a mile, half a mile. It's halfway to you. <laughs> um, they live really close to uh, to us here. Uh, I've, 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 uh, I guess I was reading something and. and and so that night, I started thinking, I said, well, maybe we can pray for her. She's got dementia. Pray for her every day that God will change her life, change, turn around. And I'm asking God to give her 10 more years of life. She's 88 years old. And, uh, I, and this song says, you know, it was really good. No matter what you think, God's always working. <laughs> That's right. You have not because you ask not. Uh, don't think God can go according to everything we ask him to do. But I know that God is always good. <laughs> and I know he loves us. And this is, this, remember, I told you all, he loves us, he's good, and, and you can trust him. So no matter how, how bad things are going to go, um, just trust him. Say, Lord, I don't know what's going on. And there's times in your life that you won't know what's going on. But read the Bible and trust it as God's word to you. And next, uh, next week, Kyle over here, he's going to do the uh, class next week. And uh, I hope he does, uh, he, does, he does a better job than I do, I'm sure. <laughs> so you guys come and support him tomorrow or next Wednesday. Uh, Tom and uh, Pastor Tom and I and... And Pastor Willie, and who else is going? Daniel. And you're going to go, Daniel? Okay. We're going to go to uh, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And we're going to have the voice of the apostles. So we're going to go to that. And uh, so we'll be leaving Monday morning uh, to go up there. Okay. We're, we're going to start. Uh, I, got, I guess I better get my notes. I'm going to follow them this time. I got, I got them numbered. <laughs> So last time I had a problem keeping up. <laughs> it takes me a long time. I'm not much of a typist. So to take to do these things it takes me a long time. <laughs> okay, undercover is the name of this thing. All right, let me ask you some questions. These are called warm-up questions. <laughs> Number 18. How's that? How'd it get there? Okay, go to that next slide now. There. Why do you think some people start to follow the will of God, but eventually turn to their own ways? Have you all ever seen that happen? I have. Many? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's true. Any anybody else have any ideas of what things that that uh, why do you think some people start to follow the will of God but eventually turn to their own way? I can I can say I had one guy that I can remember that uh, was on fire for God. He had been through prayer ministry years ago. He was on fire in the church and he was doing very well and then uh couple of years he was doing very well and then he relapsed he went back into the world again he started to follow the, the will of God but eventually turned to his own way now why do you think he did that yeah they are deceived I'll read what it says on the bottom of the slide they're deceived because they don't feel anything so Jesus doesn't seem to care the devil uses that all the time so no matter what happens to you, trust God. No matter what's going on at the time, just trust him. And uh, trust that he knows what he's doing. Okay, let's go to the next one. What happens to a person that has hardened his or her heart and is unable to feel conviction? I don't guess uh, you guys just yell it out. <laughs> Tom, he's having a hard time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the question is, what happens to a person that has hardened his or her heart to God and is unable to feel conviction? Okay. Sin is repeated so many times that they lose the feeling and they just, it becomes habitual. And it's a habit, so they just, you know, they don't see... God moving, and it just becomes a habit, so they just turn back to the old ways. Uh, how, how, do you, how do you get rid of it? How do you overcome it? You repent and turn back to God. Okay, and then if you don't feel it again, just keep doing it. <laughs> you have to trust God. That's the hardest thing to do. I, I, I find it very difficult uh, when some, something hard goes on in your life. It's very difficult to turn, to hold on. <laughs> so it's very difficult. I can't express it, but there's a scripture that says after a while they cannot be get back to their own initial. So there's a time limit, and that's dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, we're going to get into trusting God and, and all that. Let's go to the next slide, we'll, we'll go, and then we'll do the, the video. In what ways has God allowed hardship in your life to bring you back to repentance. Anybody answer that? That's, I think uh, that may be going on in my uh, mother-in-law's life. She was a nominal Christian. She went to church once in a while. And uh, now uh, suddenly she's confused and doesn't know what's going on. Uh, Sometimes I think they have things like that happen. I've got a, a another relative who is addicted, and it's a he. And he, his life will not ever change unless something happens to him. You know people like that? Their lives won't change. If they keep on going, they'll keep on going. But if God brings something in their life, a hardship, 
then they have to trust. And that's how God gets them back. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Good. Yeah, I believe, and Tom, Pastor Tom and I had this discussion today. I believe that God is, God is, it says, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. So I believe that. Uh, you might, uh, you might have done some things that, that you shouldn't have done, but God doesn't give up upon you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Pastor. Yeah. We all go to, we go through a place where we're trying to find our way. And sometimes you can be ever so just going alone and everything. But if we rely on our feelings, we will get thrown off track. And I just thank the Lord. Sometimes you can come in here, I'll say me, and you don't know what state. But I found out if you stay faithful to God. God will help you get back where you need to be. And, and, I, and I think if people rear out, it's because they want to. The Bible say the way of a transgressor is hard. As long as you stay, stay faithful to something until you find your way and God will allow a pastor or you, I could come here just as confused and out of it. But if I stay faithful and find myself like, I just, this too much information, but I just overslept. I was tired. And I just overslept. But you know what? I want to be faithful to God. So I found myself trying to get here so I can hear what thus saith the <laughs> Lord. You understand what I'm saying? Because we can make any excuses, and excuses will put you on a wrong road. Well, I overslept. Yeah, but you need to stay faithful to God because you need to hear from God. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I just know that you just, it's, it's something you got to do. And you got to really, I, I came to this land, and I'm on Sunday. Yeah, I can uh, I can remember my mother. My mother said I, I was complaining. I must have been a teenager at the time, and I said, "Nah, I don't want to go to that." She said, "If you were put in charge of that, you'd go, <laughs> and you would like it." <laughs> so, that's one way to do it. <laughs> uh, if if you are in like like if you have a party, eh, I don't need to go to that party. Well, just think if you were in charge of that party, what would you do? What would you think if nobody showed up? So. Just think about that, and then we're gonna we're gonna talk about Saul and how he heard from God and and uh, some of the mistakes he made. So let's go ahead and uh, show the DVD, and then we'll get back up here and ask some more questions. How could a harsh or corrupt leader actually provide protection for you? How is it possible to be completely right and totally wrong at the same time? How do you respond to and overcome unfair treatment? You're about to discover some principles that can change the entire course of your life. There is nothing we have that God hasn't given us. You see, God gave us grace. Submission deals with your attitude. It is easy to obey God when the sun's shining. There is a secret place under the shadow of the Almighty where there is liberty, provision, and protection. 
The following 12-part teaching series by John Bevere, along with study guide and a copy of John's book, Undercover, exposes the subtle yet rampant tactics the enemy uses to keep you from the promise of protection under his authority. John Bevere Ministries and Nelson Multimedia Group present Undercover. Do you realize that you can choose your own master? You can choose sin or you can choose obedience. In lesson four, John Bevere continues his teaching, The Consequences of Disobedience. Welcome to lesson number four, and I want you to open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel, the 15th chapter. 1 Samuel 15, please. Now, let me say this. In our last session, what we talked about was Cain and Abel. We learned very clearly that Cain brought an offering that was disobedient, Abel brought an obedient offering. The result, God said to Abel, if you would do just what is right, he said you would be accepted just like your brother. But he said, God said, if you do not obey me, he said, sin lies at the door. We discovered there is a door in every person's life, and that door gives legal access to sin and demonic power. And that door is there whether you realize it or not. We learned what opens that door, disobedience, and we learned what shuts it closed, and that is obedience to God. Is that true? Cain, unfortunately, did not listen to God's wisdom. Cain persisted in his own way. Sin entered into his life in the form of hatred, anger, strife, resentment, jealousy. It eventually turned into murder, and this young man who started out serving God ends up murdering his own brother. We are going to look at another very similar incident found in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Now let me tell you what's happening here in 1 Samuel 15. We have two major personalities. The first one is King Saul. He is the first king of Israel, correct? The second personality in this uh, chapter that is a major personality is Samuel. And if I can say it like this, Samuel is the senior prophet of Israel, okay? The scene opens up in first, uh, verse 1 with Samuel coming to the king, King Saul, and giving him the word of the Lord. Samuel said to Saul, thus saith the Lord, I want you to go and gather your armies, and I want you to go attack the nation of Amalek, and I want you to destroy every man, every woman, every child, and as a matter of fact, every animal that they own, everything that breathes, put it to death with the edge of the sword. This was a command. Now, I want to make a very strong point here. When Samuel gave Saul that command, Saul did not look at Samuel and say, are you crazy? I'm not going to do that, and turn and walk away. That's what we call rebellion. Nor does Saul say to Samuel, okay, I'll do it, and then later on not do it because it wasn't important to him. We might call that disobedience. I want you to be fully aware this morning that Saul gathers his armies and they go attack the nation of Amalek. Saul kills tens of thousands of men, women, and children. As a matter of fact, I could be safe to say probably close to 100,000 men, women, and children. He also kills thousands of animals, goat, sheep, oxen, etc. But he spares the finest animals to give to the people that, so that they can offer animal sacrifices to the Lord. Are you with me? Saul kills hundreds of thousands of people, but he does something. He spares one man, and that is the king of Amalek. Why does Saul do that? Because back then, whenever you conquered a nation, for you to take that king of that nation captive was like taking a living trophy. Are you with me? Every time you saw him as a slave in your palace, he reminded you of your victory over his nation. Are you with me? Now, Saul does all this, and I want you to notice what God says to Samuel. Look at verse 10. 
Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. Now, God later goes on to say he has rebelled. Are you with me? Listen carefully. Saul has done 99.9% of what he was told to do. When you kill all but one person, that is 99.99%. Amen? But God says he's rebelled, disobeyed. So this shows us something right away, that partial obedience is not obedience at all. As a matter of fact, we can go on to say that partial obedience usually and can end up be and usually is rebellion. But somebody says, why don't you look at everything I did do? Why do you have to look at the little I didn't do? Have you ever heard somebody say that before? Especially kids. Are you with me? Well, look at all the room that I did clean up. Just don't look at the part that I didn't clean up. How many times have we heard that one? But listen to me carefully. God is not in that way. God focused in on what he didn't do. Because God says he's not obeyed me, even though he's done 99% of what he was told to do. Now, I want you to notice what happens. Look at verse 13. Samuel goes out to Saul the next day. Look at verse 13. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Now, would you look up at me? Saul sees Samuel coming out the next day after this campaign, this war. And Saul goes running to Samuel and says, Praise God, Samuel, I've done everything I was told to do. Well, that's not what God said to Samuel the night before, is it? So how do we account for the difference in opinion here? God says he's rebelled, and Saul believes with all of his heart he's obeyed. The answer is found in our scripture that we brought up time and time again, James chapter 1, verse 22. But be doers of the word, not hearers, deceiving your own selves. Deception is when you really believe with all of your heart you're right, when in reality, in God's eyes, you're wrong. A person deceives himself. The reason Saul believed with all of his heart he really obeyed is because he did not obey the word of God. He was deceived. Deception entered into his life. Are you with me? Now, when deception enters into our life, I want to read to you straight from the book. At this point, the person may fall away from any semblance of godliness, or more frequently, they continue with a form of godliness but live religiously under the curse of the knowledge of good and evil. That's what usually happens, folks. When people get into a pattern of disobedience, and let me say this very carefully, this was a pattern in Saul's life. This was not the first time he disobeyed. If you go back and you'll notice he had a pattern of it, and I have found that every time you disobey, what happens is a veil goes over your heart, and that veil is called deception. Do you remember the first time you sinned by, let's say, speaking out against somebody? And the moment you spoke out against that believer, you felt like a knife hit your gut. Remember that? Right? Your heart was tender to the Holy Spirit, right? You felt like a knife. But you went, well, what I'm saying is right. It's true. It's accurate. Well, you can be 100% right and be wrong. Are you with me? So a veil goes over your heart. It's called deception, right? Then what happens? You speak about somebody again, and now you don't feel a knife. You feel a pinch. Are you with me? But you go, but I'm right. So another veil goes over your heart. Then the next time you speak about somebody, you don't feel a pinch, you feel a tingle. But you go, but I'm right. Another veil goes over your heart. Then the next time you speak about somebody, you don't feel a tingle, 
You don't feel a pinch. You don't feel a knife. You don't feel anything. What's happened? Your conscience is now seared. When you sear something, it is beyond feeling. Are you with me? At that point, you are seared, and God will have to send a messenger to you, and usually it's a prophetic messenger. It could be a prophet, it could be a pastor, a teacher, or it can be a friend. And they will come and help you see the error of your way. That is why James says, let anyone who is shown some, anybody that is wanted from the truth, and somebody has come and shown him the way, he has saved that person from a multitude of sins. Are you with me? What I have noticed is that God has a three-step process. First of all, he tries to get your attention in your conscience. But if you have repeated disobedience after disobedience after disobedience, what happens is he has to send a messenger to you. If you don't listen to the messenger, then judgment comes. Remember what David said, before I was afflicted, I went astray. Let me tell you something. Hardship will come to people's lives. Affliction will come to people's lives because of not obeying. Are you with me? It is not God that does it. His protective hand lifts, and you see what happens is you are now a target for the enemy. And we're going to see that clearly. But what happens with people is most of the time they still have a form of godliness. They still come to church, but now they're living on the letter of the law. They're living based off of the principle of reasoning, not off the principle of obedience. Are you with me? And so now listen to what, listen to what else I said in the book. His sense of right and wrong is now drawn from a source other than the word of God breathed by the Holy Spirit into their hearts. They live by the deceived dictates of their heart. It could be the letter of the scripture, which kills, or it could be what society deems as right and wrong. Either way, they're out of touch with the living God. Now the only way they can be reached is by God sending a prophetic messenger to them. Are you seeing this? Samuel is that prophetic messenger for Saul. Samuel comes and basically confronts Saul. And you know what Saul does? He says, but I have obeyed. And Samuel says, well, then what's the beating of the sheep? And what's the lowing of the oxen I hear? And Saul says, but it's the people. It's the people. They wanted to offer a sacrifice to God. Now, let me tell you when you're in real trouble. When you believe you can serve God through your rebellion, that's when you're in big trouble. I don't care if you can find it from the Bible. Saul could have found that from the Torah. And he could have said, but Samuel, I'm doing exactly what Moses said to do. He did not obey God. Let me tell you, I have learned people can find what they want to find in the Scripture. And that is how they enter into a perverted lifestyle because perverted means twisted. And that is when you take what God says and you twist it to your own advantage. I had the Spirit of God speak this to me one day. He said, son, do you know what a religious spirit is? And I've learned that whenever God asks me a question, he's not looking for information. Are you with me? In other words, some of you aren't getting it. I'm seeing your faces. God was not looking for me to go, yeah, I know what a religious spirit is. It's this and this and this. Oh, John, thanks. I really needed to know that. No, when God asks you a question, he asks you that question because you don't know the answer. Now, I've written on it. I've preached on it. I've, I've heard other men preach on it. I've read other men's writings on it. But when God spoke to me that few years ago and said, you know what a religious spirit was, I real quick said, no, I don't know. And the Lord spoke to me. It's as soon as I said, Lord, I don't know, he said, son, a religious spirit is one who uses my word to execute his own desires. I will never forget that. And immediately Saul came to mind. Saul won favor with the people. He gave them those animals. And while they're offering those animals, I'm sure those people are going, wow, what a godly king we have. He always puts Jehovah first. He got that king so he could have a trophy in his house. Are you with me? So Samuel confronts him. He says, what's the beating of the sheep? And Saul says to the people. And then Samuel says, no, wait a minute. You, Saul. And he backs him right into the corner with the word of God. 
And then finally, watch what happens. Look at verse 22. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Everybody say obeying. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Can you say amen? amen? Now watch this. Verse 23. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Now, those of you with the King James Version and the New King James Version, will you notice, please, with me, that in this verse, verse 23, the words is and as are in italic type. Do you see that? For rebellion is as, is as an italic type, the sin of witchcraft. Now, the reason they're in italic type is because they do not appear in the original text. The translators added it for clarity. However, I went back to the interlinear Bible. I went back to the books that had the every single Hebrew word with every English word above it. And I found out this is not an accurate translation. Now, let me tell you the accurate translation. Are you ready for it? For rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. Now, it's one thing to be like witchcraft. It is a completely different thing to be witchcraft. Now, to get an understanding of this, the Hebrew word there for witchcraft is the Hebrew word kwezim. It's spelled Q-E-S-E-M. I went back and I studied out this word, and I found out that this word doesn't really implicate a kind of occultic practice. What it really indicates is the goal or the effect of witchcraft. Now listen to me carefully. What is the goal of witchcraft? To control. You're saying it. Let's look in an extreme case. Why does a witch put a curse on somebody? She wants to control their life through demonic power. The goal of witchcraft is to control. So what God is saying here is rebellion is to be controlled. Are you seeing this? Now, this can operate either with people being totally unaware of it or be people in, in occultic practices or Satanists being totally aware of it. Are you with me? Now listen, a few years ago, my wife and I came into a hotel room after a meeting one night. We flipped on the television. We were on one of the major networks. It was either NBC, CBS, or ABC. And they were having a special on Satanism. Now when I saw that, I went to turn the, the channel because... I don't care to get any information about spiritual warfare outside of the Bible. That's just me personally. But the Holy Spirit checked me and said, and I felt like the Lord said, watch this. They were talking about the number one commandment of the Satanic Bible. Does anybody in here this morning know what it is? Does anybody come out of the occult? What's the number one commandment? That's exactly right. The number one commandment of the Satanic Bible is do what thou will. And I remember when they said that, I just screamed on the inside of me, that's a perversion. What did Jesus say? He said, I did not come to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And then, when I was a youth pastor, we had a lot of occultic practices in the area where I lived. We had a town right outside of our city called Casadega, where, which means house of the devil. And they had seances there and witches and warlocks and all this other stuff going on there. And so there was a lot of kids that dabbled in the occult in our high schools when I was youth pastor. And a lot of them were coming to our, our youth services and getting saved. And so we started interviewing them, and we found out something. When these kids join witches' covens, do you know what their leaders tell them to do? The first thing they tell them to do is they tell them to drink, take drugs, commit illicit sex with one another, and steal. They tell them to break all the laws of God, society, and of their parents, and they teach them the more you rebel, the more power you get. 
But isn't that true? Rebellion is witchcraft. Rebellion is to be controlled. Rebellion opens up the door legally and gives Satan access. They do it because they want more power. However, it works either way. Listen to what the Bible says. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 19, New Living Translation. They, those leaders who encourage insubordination, promise freedom. Listen carefully. But they themselves are slaves to sin and corruption, for you are a slave to whatever controls you. Romans chapter 6, verse 16, Living Bible. Don't you realize that you can choose your own master? You can choose sin or else obedience. The one whom you offer yourself, he will take you and be your master and you will be a slave. Listen to me, folks. What we live speaks louder than what we speak. You can confess I am a Christian till you're blue, pink, yellow in the face, but until you live it, your lifestyle speaks louder than what you speak. That is why Jesus comes along and says, most assuredly, John 8, 34, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Why? He opens up the door, the demonic power gets legal access into his life. Are you here? Oh. Samuel warns Saul, correct? He warns him. But Saul doesn't heed. He doesn't truly repent from his heart. Why? He says, Samuel, I've sinned, but yet now honor me. In other words, he's more concerned about being embarrassed than he is that he's hurt the heart of God. And you know what the Bible says right after this? The Bible says, the spirit of the Lord lifted and an evil spirit came. That door was open and that evil spirit came into his life and he caused Sam, listen, Saul to do things he never would have done in his own right mind. If you would have looked at Saul as a young man, remember when he was humble before he became king? If you would have looked at him and said, Saul, one day you're going to kill, you're going to murder in cold blood 85 of God's ministers, their wives and their children, in cold blood. He would have said, you're crazy, I'll never do that. Yet he did it. That spirit, that sin, got access into his life and caused him to do things he never would have done in his right mind. If you would have looked at Cain when he was a young man and said, Cain, one day you're going to murder your brother. He would have said, you're crazy. Yet what did Cain end up doing? He gave legal entrance to sin into his life. Go with me to Numbers, the 23rd chapter, please. Numbers, the 23rd chapter. Remember, we are talking about, in these last two lessons, the consequences of sin. Some people foolishly think that they can disobey God, and the temporary reward or benefit that they get out of their disobedience will outweigh the consequence. I hope that after you hear these last two sessions, you will say it will never outweigh it again, and you will never, ever have a desire to disobey willfully again. I'm hoping that it puts the fear of God in you. We need the love of God and we need the fear of God. Can you say amen? The love of God makes me want to run and jump in his lap. The fear of God has me approaching his throne with trembling and also saying as far away from disobedience as I can. Are you with me? We need them both. Numbers chapter 23, are you there? Let me tell you what's happening here in Numbers chapter 22, chapter 23, and chapter 24. There is a man, two men in these chapters again that are major figures. First guy's name is Balaam. Everybody say Balaam. Balaam. Balaam is a prophet. He is a prophet of Jehovah. As a matter of fact, his prophetic ministry is so powerful that it reaches the ears of kings. One king in particular who knew about Balaam was a king named Balak. Everybody say Balak. Balak. Now Balak was the king of the Moabites and also he ruled the Midianites as well. Now listen carefully. In Numbers 22, it opens up with Balak the king 
seeking to hire Balaam to come and curse Israel. Why? Because Moab and Midian were nervous. They knew Israel had destroyed the most powerful nation in the world, Egypt, and now they were camped on Moab's plains, and they were concerned that what they did to Egypt they were going to do to Moab and Midian. So the king says, I got a brilliant idea. I will hire this prophet because I know whoever he blesses is blessed, and whoever he curses is cursed. I will have him come and curse this people. Are you with me? So Balaam consents, and he comes. The next morning, they go up to the high places of Moab, and Balaam says to the servants of King Balak, I want you to build seven altars. They build seven altars. Balaam goes and opens up his mouth or give the oracle, and what he does is he ends up blessing Israel and not cursing them. King Balak goes nuts. He says, what are you doing? Balaam says, well, maybe we need to go higher. So they go another level higher. And they build seven more altars, and he opens up his mouth to curse, and he blesses. The king goes, gets furious and says, what are you doing? He says, well, maybe we need to go higher. Now, this goes on four levels, all right? And each level, he blesses them. And I want you to hear what he says on the second level. Look at Numbers 23, verse 23. This is one of his oracles. He says, for there is no sorcery. Everybody say, no sorcery. Against Jacob, nor any divination against Israel. Now, can I communicate that in today's words? There is no witchcraft against the church, nor is there any divination against God's people. Let the witches chant their chants, burn their candles, do whatever they want. They cannot touch the church of the living God. Hallelujah. Whoa. Amen. Proverbs 26, verse 2 says, Like a fluttering sparrow or a darting swallow, an undeserved curse does not come to rest. Listen to what uh, David says in Psalm 64, verses 7 and 8. David is talking about people that were putting curses on him. He says, But God shall shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly they shall be wounded. So God will make them stumble over their own tongue. Hallelujah. That is why Balaam, in one of his oracles, Numbers 23, verse 8, says, How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? Are you with me? He could not curse them. Now listen, he goes up four levels, and he basically tells the king, I can't curse whom God's blessed. The king is furious of Moab, right? And so the king looks at Balaam and says, You know what? I was going to give you a lot of money. But you're not getting a dime, not even a penny. And he starts walking away furious, right? Now, Balaam wants the money, right? So Balaam goes, wait, 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 king, come back here, come back here. And the king goes, what? And Balaam goes, listen, I can't put a curse on him, but I can tell you how to get him under a witchcraft curse. The king goes, how? Balaam said, it's simple. Send your women into their camp. Tell them to bring their idols. And when they begin to rebel and sin against God, they will come under a witchcraft curse because rebellion is witchcraft. See, folks, listen. Do you remember Jesus made the statement? Listen. Do you remember Jesus made the statement? Revelations 2, verse 14. Listen. He said that Balaam had taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Listen to what Moses said in Numbers 31, verse 16. Moses said, look, these women caused Israel, the children of Israel to sin through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the incident of Peor. Everybody say the counsel of Balaam. What he did is he said, Balak, I can't curse him, but I can tell you through counsel how to get him under a curse. Get him to sin. Get him to disobey. Now, 
His oracles are finished at the end of Numbers 24. Are you with me? The very last blessing that he gives Israel is after Numbers 24. It's between 24 and 25. He gives the counsel. Now look at 25. Verse 1. Now Israel remained in Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited the peoples to the sacrifice of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Wow, would you look up at me? You know what happens as a result of this? A plague breaks out. And this plague, this curse of a plague, is breaks out, is so powerful. And do you know how many people die? 24,000 people. Look at verse 9. And those who died in the plague were 24,000. Now, would you look up at me, please? Their disobedience brought them under a curse, right? What stopped the curse? You may guess this. Radical disobedience started it. Radical obedience stopped it. Look at verse 7. Now when Phinehas, who was the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, in other words, this is Aaron's grandson, the priest saw it, he arose, because what happened? Watch this, verse 6. Let me let you see what's happening. And indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle. This guy flaunts his rebellion in front of Moses and the whole church, right? Watch what Phinehas does, Aaron's grandson. Verse 7. Now when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he arose from among the congregation, took a javelin in his hand, and he went after the man and the, of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through the man of Israel and the woman through her body so the plague was stopped among the children of Israel. Radical obedience stopped the plague. And you know what God said about this young man? He said, I will give him the covenant of my peace forever because he's radically obeyed me. Look at this. <clears throat> Verse 10. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Verse 11, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel because he was zealous with my zeal among them, so that I did not consume the children of Israel at my zeal. Therefore, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace. And it shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant, an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God and made an atonement for the children of Israel. How did he make atonement? Through obedience. How did Jesus make atonement through us? for us? through his obedience. He was obedient to the point of death. Let me tell you something, folks. God loves radical obedience. Why do you think God says through the prophet Jeremiah, why do you think he said, where are those who are valiant for truth on the earth? It's easy to go along with the crowd. It's another thing to stand out and obey authority. Because let me tell you something. If you obey authority, you're going to be the minority today, not the majority. I'm talking about in the church. Galatians, the third chapter, please. Now, Paul is writing here in Galatians, the third chapter. He is writing to the church of Galatia. He is not writing to the city of Galatia, correct? Correct, church? All right. Listen to what Paul says. Verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Would you look up at me? Who has bewitched you? Now, do you know what bewitched means? It means brought you under a curse of witchcraft. 
Now look up at me. He's speaking to the church. Somebody says, I thought there's no witchcraft against the church. There's no witchcraft to the obedient. That's right. Paul writes to this church and says, the whole church is under a curse of witchcraft. Look at what he says. Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? Would you look up at me? This is a specific incident that gives us a universal truth. Are you with me? The specific incident is this. God had revealed, clearly revealed, everybody say clearly revealed, to this church that you are saved by grace, not the works of the law. Now listen carefully to me. It's not what, the, what he has not clearly revealed to us, but it's what he's clearly revealed to us. That we come under a curse if we don't obey. Are you with me? That we open up that door if we don't obey. Here's what Paul is saying. The universal truth is this. What God clearly reveals to us that we willfully disobey that brings us under a curse. Why? Because we open up the door. Folks, Jesus made a statement. Let me say this to you. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 30, he said, the ruler of this world comes. Listen, but he's found nothing in me. Why did he find nothing in Jesus? Because Jesus said, the next verse, as the Father has given me a command, so I do. We Christians must see beyond personality and honor the position of authority. When we obey men in authority, we're actually obeying God. That's next in Lesson 5. Does God know who's in charge? If you're enjoying this teaching series by John Bevere, you need to send for a free catalog listing a variety of other good... You won't listen to the commercial. <laughs> so, you, so you can see that uh, sometimes... We talked about this today. Sometimes the curse is because you disobeyed, and uh, you can you can, how do you how do you fix that? <laughs> Let's say you disobeyed when God said something to you. How do you fix that? Forgive me, Lord. <laughs> Help me not to do that again. Yeah, that's. Okay. All right, the story of um, Saul. I guess uh, Samuel said to Saul, go and kill everybody. You heard that, right? Uh, how would you define partial obedience and why it's considered rebellion? I wondered about that scripture, and I've wondered about it to even when I'm older. I've wondered about the scripture because Samuel showed up late, didn't he? Samuel showed up late, so I said, God, uh, he was just trying to be, he was trying to do what you wanted. But he was partial. And uh, he, he, he succumbed to the pressures of his men and did what he did. I, I think now maybe he didn't do it because he wanted sacrifices. He may have told Samuel that. That may not have been what he wanted to do, but the uh, with the sheep and the auction. And the answer that he gives is not. It says, "But God, God expects us to do what He says, 
a token effort to obey, or an example to substitute the letter of the command for the spirit of the command. Now, churches are not immune to this. You, you all sitting here today have to obey God. If he tells you something that's going to be very hard to do, say, Lord, I don't think I can do this. I'm going to really need your help. But when you are sure that God is telling you something, you should do it completely, not halfway. That's in the church because we're, we, we're aware of what uh, goes on in this world. But uh, in the church, those of us who are trying to do right can mess up and get what they call a religious spirit. We'll talk about that early, later on. This type of obedience is, is uh, rebellious because <laughs> I, I accidentally put the answers at the bottom. <laughs> so <laughs> that was something that, that I didn't want to do. It makes us, instead of God, the final judge of the standard of obedience. So when we start thinking, well, that's not so bad, you are, you are deciding above God what is bad and what's good. So if you reason, usually it's the devil talking to you. <laughs> He'll say, well, I know. The other, just yesterday, I, I was thinking about something, and I said, oh, God, that's not you. <laughs> because it was something like, go talk about somebody <laughs> or something like that. I can't remember it. But uh, I, when, so when, when something goes bad, if it's negative, you can be assured that the devil's trying to get you to do something. So... That's a good way of telling whether or not it's from God or whether it's from the devil. What happens when we justify rebellious actions and turn our backs on true repentance? All right, come on, you guys, talk to me. What happens when we justify rebellious actions and turn our back on true repentance? Yeah, remember that, that saying, you continue to go around that mountain until you, you do something? If you mess up, you've got to go around that mountain again, right? <laughs> and uh, that's a pretty good story. It's, uh, I've heard that all my life. If you don't do it right, you'll see it again. And that's true. <laughs> Justifying the actions and turning our backs on repentance. Uh, I've seen people fall into this category in many years of the church. Uh, and I'll read what he said. We are positioned to repeat the same acts of disobedience. A veil of deception covers our hearts and loosens our sense of condition. Have you ever met a Christian who was, who was uh, negative all the time? Constantly talked about bad things happened to them and the negativity. Uh, I had a friend tell me that her mother was like that. <laughs> she, she doesn't go to church here anymore, but she was a, uh, good friend of mine and she said every time I talk to her, to her on the telephone she's always negative I feel depressed after I talk to her and she asked me what do you do <laughs> that's my mother you know <laughs> so I said call her less <laughs> and tell her what her life is doing to you and um, that's one re one way to do it. It's just just put it in the put boundaries around the the close person. I was talking to one person that didn't even go see their parents because they were so negative. 
Sometimes you, you have to be, you have to put boundaries around yourself. But just ask God, God, what do you want me to do? <laughs> I was walking up the stairs one, one day in, in my house, and I was mad at God. <laughs> so, because he did something I didn't like. I can't even remember what it was. But I took one step on the steps, and I heard a voice. You're mad at me, aren't you? Just like that. I knew it was God. Yeah, I'm mad at you because, boom, boom, boom. And I just started laughing. <laughs> it got my attention, though. <laughs> okay, what's our next one now? List three steps. Man, I put all the answers in here. List three steps process. <laughs> three, list the three-step processes God uses to reach someone in disobedience. You see those answers down there? Conviction. We used to have a saying in our church, um, I'm, a, I'm a Nazarene at heart. That's what I was a long time ago. <laughs> conviction. My dad would always say, that person was under conviction the whole time. <laughs> now, what is that? What is conviction? The Holy Spirit is walking, is, is talking to him. Um, my uncle, and he's since deceased, he was standing in that, my, I can remember my dad saying about my uncle. He wanted to say he wanted to come to the altar. He had an altar there, in that church, and uh, he didn't, because he did not give way to what he should have done. He, he was he was trying to say, well, I'll, I'll embarrass myself. Uh, that's one of the things that uh, you'll get embarrassed if you go down front. You know, when pastor calls for somebody to come forward, uh, people do. Get embarrassed. <laughs> That's pride. Yeah, prophetic messages. Uh, it's one of the things that uh, it's. it's I, let me tell you one. There was the housekeeper at the hospital. I, her name was. Uh, I can't think of her name, but we had her pray for our our, mis our uh, ministry team one time. The ministry team was going to Argentina, I think, and she prayed for us. But she was really on fire for God and had a great prophetic anointer anointing. I called her my Samuel because when I needed to know something, I, was, I would go to her. And uh, she, she said something to me. She said, I was at Japan. I was in Japan to visit my daughter in the military. And she said, I told that pastor, I stood up in the middle of the church and I told that pastor, you're going to fall down and you are, are having adultery with a, with a man. <laughs> she, 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 she said there was a thousand people there. <laughs> she had a prophetic word, but didn't have much sense about giving it, I guess. <laughs> but she really did have a gift. She knew God, that, that woman turned red. and <laughs> she, Yeah, go ahead, Phil. Yeah, I was noticing with each of those that you, there's um, like two sides of it. You can be convicted by your, your worldly friends. Yeah. Now, why aren't you coming to party with us on Sunday or something? And the, you have the prophetic from the, the witch who says you're going to die if you don't do you know commit sexual uh, immorality or yeah. and you've got judgment where the devil's condemning you so uh, we have to I guess we have to tune our ears to uh, to the, the correct authority in our lives like our pastor that's or church, true church now some sometimes does anybody here get dreams at night Did God tell you okay many times so I, I don't get I get thoughts I'll start thinking about things and I'll, I'll think of things I've done I've, I've followed uh, Followed that up as I uh, got older. 
I don't have a dream. Michael, Michael Thornton used to have all kinds of dreams. I said, I said to Michael, I said, I have never met anybody who has so many dreams as you. <laughs> he has so, he, him and Amber dreamed every, almost every night. It's, <laughs> they were really dreaming. But I'll, I'll get this thought. I had a boat that I was trying to sell, and uh, I had this thought all night, give it away, give it away. I said, what? <laughs> Crazy. But the next day I did. <laughs> I, I, said, I, I, I know it wasn't the devil. <laughs> he wouldn't want me to do that. But, but God said, give it away. So I did. I gave it away. <laughs> so sometimes judgment, that's, uh, you, can you be delivered from judgment? Okay. We had a, we ha I had a man come here at the, host at the church. And he had been to 24 different churches. He said, you know, I think I've committed the unpardonable sin. He said, I cursed God and I cursed the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I told him, I said, well, you're here. <laughs> so, <laughs> and he said he was scared to death because he had done all those things and uh, didn't know what to, what to do about that. I, I feel like if they come seeking after God, he'll meet them. That's right. Seek and you shall find. I, I, that's what I told him. I said, you're, you're seeking God, so you can't be. It doesn't uh, cause you to be the unpardonable sin. Okay, the next one. How does God use judgment to bring someone to repentance? Now, this one. Might get us a little bit, uh, a little bit of uh, what do you call them arguments <laughs> in the church, because some people believe no, some people believe yeah, and uh, how does God? Uh, and it says here God lifts His hand of protection and allows the enemy to persecute us. Uh, what does that mean? Come on now, talk to me. <laughs> What's it mean to to uh, lift? Your hand of protection. Is God protecting you? Do you think that you think that you're going through a lot less stuff than somebody that's not a Christian? We, well, uh, sometimes it seems that way. Yeah, it does. But there, there's yeah, bad it, things that happen to Christians too. Sure. Hey. But the, but the thing that the, that puts us sets us apart is that we have Jesus in us. That's right. We have the Holy Spirit, and we've got the Holy Spirit and God, Jesus. What you know, they're the Trinity. But if you don't have anything, you go into great despair. And uh, that's the difference between a Christian. So when people, if Lord, don't don't do this to me. <laughs> If you're in front of the firing squad, I, I, I told you what Stalin did. He tried to kill this man, and he laughed before they shot him. He had to, he had to be a Christian. Nobody else would do that. It, it, it just it was the funniest thing. And even on TV, they circled it. They did it, and they said, watch this guy. They had it some, someplace in the archives. When Stephen was, yeah, Steve was laughing. Stephen, huh? 
if you suffer for him, you reign with him. Yeah, I, so I agree. When we get an understanding of these things, we know we're going to suffer. So we need to, we need to get away from fear, okay? Amen. Because you don't need to be afraid of anything. Uh, we don't know. God thinks differently. That, that we look through a lens darkly, and, and, and we see things some, somewhat. But God sees the whole picture. So I, I've been talking to my wife, and she's, uh, she's really struggling with this uh, thing with her mother. God knows what's going to happen. And he will allow, and this is the way I believe, he will allow you to go through things so that you can help someone else that goes through the same thing. I sat in my car one day at work. I was sitting there because, you know, in the schools, you can't talk about Jesus unless somebody brings. And I was sitting in my car, and the principals, all those folks that won't pray, they would come. And one day, my, it was a cross in my little pocket right there. And my head just turned towards that cross. And he says, Addie, I don't want men to just wear the cross, but I want them to carry it. You see? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. a difference. <laughs> Be, if you don't know how God speaks to you, and this, just ask him. It says if you, if you want wisdom, ask for it. Now, you may not feel lightning or, you know, shock or whatever, but he will give it to you. <laughs> All right, our next question is, to what does God equate rebellion? <laughs> Y'all can see that word in there. That's a strange story about uh, Balak and Balaam that he talked about. Y'all read that? If you haven't read it, I encourage you to. Balak and Balaam. Uh, Balaam uh, was, a, was a prophet. He had to know that he was a prophet of God because I, I think he was. <laughs> that's, that's, you know, we don't know if, if he got his information from Satan or not. That's right. He, he listened to God when he, when he blessed, blessed him, but one thing got his, got his attention, and this, Satan knows your weaknesses. He knows your weakness, and he will definitely come against that weakness. You may be strong in some areas. You may look like a Christian, but you've got a weakness. The devil knows it. And then we, witchcraft and rebellion are the same. So go ahead and uh, realize that. All right, next, next question. And then how can the experience of others, particularly the people of the Scripture, help avoid sin and deception? Now, let me read 1 Corinthians 10 and 11. I think I wrote that on the slide. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. I like what Jack Taylor says when he was preaching to us one day. He said, somebody asked me some hard questions about whether this is true or not. I once saved, always saved. It would be a good, a good one to talk about. And he said, there's three words I tell them. I don't know. <laughs> so we need to know what we don't know. Some, I mean, there's some people that will argue till they're blue in the face about a, a doctrinal position, and I've seen that happen in churches. And I used to tell everybody, there's, if the 50 people go into a pastor's conference, you'll have 50 different doctrines. 
I, I learned that as a kid, that people have different ways of looking at things. And, and, uh, but there's enough in the scripture for you to understand. How can the experiences of, uh, the experiences of others, particularly the people of the scripture, help us avoid, avoid sin and deception? And let me read you the answer. You can see it up there. They offer us both examples and warnings. We can see their choices as well as the results spelled out in the scripture. Uh, David is a good example. Yeah. I was going to say that back then they didn't really know what side to choose maybe. Like uh, if they saw people um, arguing with Moses, uh, they didn't know that the earth was going to come and swallow them up. Just like, uh, like in the south, they didn't know that uh, yeah. being rebels against Abraham Lincoln was going to turn out the wrong way. Or Hitler, you know, they, a lot of them might have seen the power that he had and thought, oh, we'll follow this guy. And so uh, I, think, I think we realize that uh, you can't always be sure. Yeah. Of, uh, you have to be um, cautious what you're listening to. Yeah, sometimes God doesn't tell you. Oh, God, should I do this or should I do that? Sometimes he doesn't tell you. I used to tell people, walk toward the door, and whichever one you want to do, A or B, you pick it. Okay? Say, God, help me to pick this, this thing. Help me to buy the right car. Go to the car you want. Ask, pray that God will lead you, and then, he'll, and then pick the one you, you want to do. And that, that uh, I believe by faith that God leads you in these decisions of, of life that are just something we do every day. And I was going to say about David. David, uh, he has some pretty bad, nasty stuff in the Bible against him. He did a lot of things that were told. And I, I was thinking, maybe the Bible was written after he died. <laughs> and so they could be honest about it. But he uh, told it all, and uh, a good example of that is Michael Michael Thornton again. He told he tell he tells everything about the good, bad, and the ugly, and uh, so David, uh, all the things he did are recorded in the book for you, so we can say, "Don't go that way." Um, next question is, what is the difference between knowing and practicing God's word? Boy, they got silence tonight. I shouldn't have put them answers up there. <laughs> this was a mistake I made. I sent Daniel the, the slides, but I put the answers on them so I could have an answer, not so you could have one. <laughs> yeah, down at James one twenty two, it says, "Be a." Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. It, there's a good rule of thumb. If you don't know what to do, sometimes you have to just stop. <laughs> Say, God, I'll do anything you ask me to do, but I'm going to wait for your advice. Sometimes you can walk, sometimes you can stop. <laughs> and that's uh, between you and the Lord. All right, let's go to the next question on... It says, how is a person deceived when they fall, when they fail to do what they know? How is a person deceived when they fail to do what they know? You guys don't know that one? <laughs> 
read it. <laughs> it's, uh, no matter how smart we are, God doesn't think we're that smart. I know that there's some brilliant men in this world, and I look, I look at the, the guys, the astrologers, uh, the, you know, the great, great minds of this world, but they don't have faith. As a rule, they don't have faith. They think they know it. Yeah. You know, he wants us to be as, as come to him as little children. So you have to think of the knowledge versus obedience. If we have so much knowledge, sometimes it, Yes. And what's the guy's name that uh, that was crippled and he could he couldn't talk? He used a computer. The computer talked for him. He's a, he's an astronomer. What's his name? Hawkins. Yeah, Stephen Hawkins. He didn't. He was an atheist. He died an atheist. Now here's one of the most brilliant minds in the world that couldn't figure out how to trust the Lord. <laughs> Isn't that something? Can I say this? Yeah. To, to know to do and don't do is sin. That's what the Bible says. Now, just remember, we don't know the end. And I, I tell people this all the time. God sees the end from the beginning. He knows where that's headed. It might look bad today, but it'll come out okay. And uh, I really believe that. Uh, I've just watched The Shack. Uh, have y'all seen that movie, The Shack? Well, the, the guy, his, he was real mad. And, and I think Wisdom talked to him. This girl called himself, calls herself Wisdom. And she said, you are the judge. You are setting yourself up as a judge. And what would you do to that guy? Well, I would kill him. That's what he said. He, his daughter was uh, murdered... Uh, she was a real beautiful little child. And, but God let him see her in heaven. Now, see, that's the part that we can't see. The beautiful things that happened in heaven, the people who died and, and put us in such sorrow, we have to say, God, I don't understand this at all, but I know you're in charge. And I, and I ask you, Lord Jesus, to lead me through this life. And someday, and I, and I know... There's one uh, person that I can think of who lost his wife. She was, they both are serving the Lord together. He'll see her again. And his life will be awesome in heaven. So we have to focus on Jesus, and he knows the end from the beginning. So it, wouldn't it be nice to take advice from that guy? He might have more than Pastor Tom. <laughs> I sometimes go to Pastor Tom for advice. Why is a life of personal reflection and repentance important? Let me read what Corinthians says. 1 Corinthians 11.30 says, For this reason many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. What's that mean?
We need to judge ourselves while we have time. Philip? I just know that my wife's always telling me things about myself uh, that I don't recognize, <laughs> like, you know, maybe being possessed. Yeah, like Pastor Tom said, the marriage is designed to kill both of you. <laughs> yeah. Like, I might think I'm, I'm doing something really godly, but it's uh, maybe there's some greed in there. Yeah. And she always points it out really strong, and I don't recognize it. <laughs> So have a repenting heart. Be humble. Say, Lord, I shouldn't have done that. Would you forgive me? Just, it's easy to say. It doesn't matter if you're, my mother used to call them mistakes. If you made a mistake. <laughs> I call them sins, but she calls them mistakes. <laughs> she didn't feel like she, she sinned anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true. A lot of times people can give us the truth, and the truth is uh, too much for us. <laughs> now, the next question is, why is why is it sometimes so difficult to see our own faults? You were talking about that, Philip. <laughs> why is it so difficult? People tell me, my wife tells me, <laughs> what I, she sees me looking like, and I'd say, gee whiz, I didn't know that. <laughs> Don't y'all feel that way? You're, especially those that are married. Now, maybe a close friend of those that aren't married would say the same thing. Uh, you looked a little bit scared today. Maybe you didn't feel it. We have blind spots that require outside help to locate. Evidence of life in a fallen world is our amazing capacity to overlook the obvious faults and errors that others can't help but see. I am not a good authority on me. Does that make sense? I can't judge how I look to others. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't, I don't know why, but I don't have an idea of how I look to others. So I, I, I depend on my wife to tell me, and that's one reason I like her to be here. She's not here tonight. She's with her mother, but I like her to be there because she'll say it after it's all over. You know, she'll criticize and she'll and she'll brag and mostly criticize. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so that we can't see ourselves. You look in the mirror. What's it say in the Bible? You look in the mirror and then you leave the mirror and then you can't. You forgot what you look like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he'll show you say Lord what do you want to tell me but usually he'll send somebody he'll send somebody maybe you'll give a prophetic word to somebody and they'll come to you and say hey you are doing this oh yeah it's like uh, David's a good you know when David was doing something wrong he tried to cover it up only when he was confronted by another a prophet did he change Somebody came and told him, this is what God sees. You might see this, but God sees this. <laughs> and the, the next question is, what can be the result if we fail to carefully examine ourselves? So find that person that can speak to you about you. Go to that person you trust 
usually if you're married, it's your wife. <laughs> if it's your husband, <laughs> if we're talking to you. Sibling, yeah, that could work. Somebody that you trust. Yeah, Tony. But for people that are not married and don't have a lot of family, we have to evaluate ourselves. Okay. So I try to evaluate myself all the time. And I'll look and I say, oh, I did that. I did something today, and I was like, oh, my God, I repent. God, I, <laughs> I didn't mean to do that, Lord. I just, I just didn't want to make that person feel bad. And so I, I, I said something that I shouldn't have. Not to, you know, it was something so simple. I mean, it, was, it wasn't even important, but I, you know, and I thought, I mean, I was convicted. I was beating myself up. I've repented, and I'm still beating myself <laughs> up over that one little statement. And I'm thinking, that statement wasn't that important. But because I'm in the presence of God all the time, I can't handle even the littlest, the littlest you know, things. I, I just can't. It's like, oh, I did that. I said that. Oh, my God. Yeah. You take a different test. The longer you have been saved, the Bible says you take hard, it's harder and harder and harder. Is that right? So the test is different. It's because of, of, of the different. But you have somebody in your life, and I know who it is, that tells you what, what's what. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but God does send people to us and, and tell, tell us what's going on, and that's, that's good. Huh? Yeah, we have to listen when Holy Spirit convict us or tell us or somebody come to correct us. We have to. Yeah, it comes with humility right. instead of pride. <laughs> humility. It's uh, if you're humble and, and and you know you you're not perfect, then you can say, "Okay, God, I, I see that too." A life of self-denial is foolishness to the world. How is our salvation dependent upon it? Go ahead and flip it that next. Oh, you get it. A life of self-denial is foolishness to the world. How is our salvation dependent upon it? Um, like fasting. That's a good one. How many of you fast before? You've done it? Most everybody here. Um, that doesn't, I mean, you tell somebody that's not a Christian that you fasted, they say, what? You didn't eat? Right? <laughs> they don't understand it. They don't know why you would go without food. How many of you have fasted a, a long time and changed your life? Anybody? Parthena? I once fasted for three days. I was, um, I once fasted for three days, um, not intentionally, but I was going through a hard time, and I was just stayed in prayer. And lo and behold, did I really realize about after the third day, I hadn't eaten. There you go. But uh, the Lord um, really revealed things to me, helped me in a very tremendous way, and it certainly changed my life. That's good. Anybody else? Love it. Let me tell you something. Everybody I met said, 
Oh, you're so bright. You look so light. I said, I must have been looking like that <laughs> when they left when Moses came <laughs> off the mountainside. But yeah, it does. It does a lot for you. Yeah, your non-Christian friends won't understand fasting. They really won't. Yeah, but if you fast, you know exactly what it, what it does. <laughs> it's killing the flesh. I, I can tell you that uh, for, for the experience. It's killing the flesh. All right, the next question, how can the pleasures of this world begin to control a person? Have you ever seen people getting wrapped up in pleasures? It happens in the church sometimes. So Peter says, well, they promise them liberty. They say they themselves are slaves of corruptions. For by whom a person is overcome, by him he is also brought into bondage. Uh, I think what they figure, what the, what they, what you see is, oh, that's going to be nice. I can speak to this one, but some things that that look good on the outside have repercussions later on. I was uh, talking to some man, and I said, I knew what he had done, <laughs> and I said, hey, repent, but but you will be punished for that. It's like the guy that steals something and the, and the law gets him and he gets saved. He's, he's saved in, in prison. He still has to serve the time. So sometimes we've had people uh, confess that they were let off and let, let off of the punishment. And that's, that's, but that's if God does that, he does it. All right, they promise a certain freedom, but they demand, create, control. Addiction is in exchange which turns out to be the worst type of slavery. If I worked with addict, I still work with addicted people all the time. Uh, how do you get addicted? You do it one time, and you like it. I know people that, that, that use cocaine one time. They did it, and they were addicted. So... Stay away from those things. It, it get, it, it, and you say, boy, I felt good when I did that. And then you're going to do it again and again. And what happens is after a while, people that are very addicted don't feel anything. They, they have to take more and more and more to get the same feeling they got at first from addiction. So it, it, so it tricks you. It's Satan. He says, oh, wouldn't you love to do this? And then you don't see the hook until after. And then the hook sets, and, and you're gone. And it, uh, it takes a lot of effort. Yeah, Daniel. I feel like the pleasures of this world are like counterfeit um, to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, like counterfeit to joy and peace and, and patience and mildness and these are the things that we're striving for and the pleasures of this world they feed the flesh they don't feed the spirit and the flesh is at enmity with god so you're feeding into that into that flesh you're strengthening that division is what you're doing whenever you're you're uh, dealing with these pleasures of the world so so the, the the farther this gap gets the easier it is to be again controlled by it yeah, I think uh, the sin does <clears throat> numb you to the consequences. But they come. Let me tell you, I know some guys that are 50 years old. They look 80. They have ruined their life. 
and they've broken all kinds of things in their body. I know some people like that, and, and they're, they're actually close friends of mine, but um, they, have, they have to, the consequences of their sin is every day they have to live with that. And uh, it looked good at first. It's doing what everybody else is doing. <laughs> they promise you freedom. And the last question, in what ways can our reasoning sometimes be contrary to true obedience? In what ways can our reasoning sometimes be con contrary to two true obedience? I'm not going to go anywhere until you answer this. <laughs> and so you're number 19, not 16. Keep going. One more. That's the last one. Okay, in what ways can our reasoning sometimes be contrary to true obedience? I just turned it off. There you go. <laughs> in what ways can our reasoning sometimes be contrary to true, true obedience? It, now, let's use Saul and his story that, that, that John Bevere told, talked about. He thought he was doing the right thing, right? He had reason to believe, since Sammy was late and the guys were leaving, that he could do what he wanted. And he did. Did he suffer for it? He certainly did. Well, I, we just kind of go over what John Bevere talked about, but I just want you to realize that there are consequences of our sins, and uh, we have to pay. Let's all stand up. We'll, we'll go ahead and leave. It's already past 8 o'clock. You guys talked a lot. <laughs> I'm not going to put the answers up for next time. <laughs> Good Lord, we thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much for these people that have, have come out tonight. I just pray that uh, you work openly in their lives and powerfully, that they will be serving you no matter what. And Lord, let, let us all walk the path that you set before us. Help us to be your slaves, be obedient to whatever you ask us to do without question. And Lord, help us all to, to end up there. In Jesus' name, amen.